Welcome to the Numa Church Podcast. For more information on all things Numa, please contact us on our website, numa.church. Now get ready for another inspirational message. Well, hey, I don't know about you, but um, I'm enjoying the uh, summer break, which includes lots of food, lots of beverages, lots of snacks. And uh, I love this time of year because it's a time where people uh, often will come together, whether it's for Christmas or New Year's and different pieces and the weekends and all the different things that happen in order to be able to gather together in a summertime break. Who loves daylight savings? It's my favourite time of year. Actually, you know, summer is that much, time, that much of a favourite time of year for me that I normally every winter will pack up and go to America to chase another summer. I love it. I love the long days. I love the warm sun. And I just love being able to be in a space where you're with people and you're gathered together and it's good. Amen? Well, over that time, we gather together and we eat and we be merry and we have a great time. Uh, we gather together and we ate pizza. And uh, one of the nights, we ordered a bunch of pizzas, went down the street and we picked them up. And um, one of the things I love about this time of year is that you, you can eat as many carbs as you like. Amen? Nobody's with me? You're on the 2020, I'm going to get my body in the shape thing, aren't you? Yeah, don't we? Um, so anyway, I love this time of year because you can eat pizza, gluten-free ones, they work for me. And, um, and so I got together with our family, ordered some pizza, and as we were walking back with the pizzas in stow, there was like, you know, layers of pizza, walking back into the house, a couple walking past had seen both myself and my brother-in-law carrying these pizzas and said, oh, is there room for us? And you know that moment where you're caught off guard? And you're like... Uh, sure like and in that moment they just kept walking because it was like you know just a drop the line kind of a a comment it wasn't actually an invitation we didn't know who they were and they didn't know who we were they just saw the pizza and thought good idea why not ask and uh, so it was quite entertaining as we were laughing on our way back in because it was an awkward moment but have you ever been stuck in a moment where someone has invited them to your your place for dinner anyone experience that and you're like sure Am I the only one? <laughs> so literally, these people had invited themselves for dinner. And um, I kind of did this as a kid. I used to uh, have uh, lots of friends and uh, lots of friends with families and would just drop the line without having spoken to my mum in any way, form or shape. I'd be like, hey, why don't you guys stay for dinner? And my mum would be praying the prayer that Jesus prayed over the bread and the fishes. You know, the prayer that was like, God, multiply this. It has to feed thousands that prayer, and my mum would get a, bit of a, a little bit of a twinkle in her eye with a little bit of a one drop, this one and this one raises. Like, you know how they do that thing, drop? Like, I can't do it. Um, but she would give me that look and I'd be like, oh, we can make it stretch, I'll give up my food and just kind of really happy to have anyone come over for dinner. And I started to realise, you know what, I'm just following in Jesus' footsteps because Jesus invited himself over to people's places for dinner. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 19 where Zacchaeus, tax collector, heathen, sinner, just in case you missed it in brackets, ran up a tree to see who Jesus was when Jesus was being followed by a crowd. Zacchaeus is up the tree, he spots Jesus and is listening to the stories that Jesus is telling. Jesus walks up to Zacchaeus and walks up to the tree and says, hey Zacchaeus, come down, I'm coming to your place for dinner. So if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for you? Yeah, does that work? You've all got permission right now to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm coming to your place for lunch. <laughs> On you. But, you know, I started to think about 
how important the table is as a part of the ministry in the life of Jesus. When I look through the Gospels, I see over and over again where Jesus reclined at the table. As I start to inquire of the stories that he's telling, I see that he continued to bring people in who didn't know him to that table, as well as restore people who had had walked away, as well as redeem people who needed redeeming and reconciling people who needed reconciling. The woman came with the alabaster box and broke it over his head and over his feet. And, and the different stories that are accumulated in the Bible are around a table. And you know, I really believe that the table is one of the most essential elements to the ministry of Jesus, who he is and how he functions, but also in how he calls us to function as well. See, Jesus understood the power of a table and the power of a meal. And the most distinctive aspects of his ministries and ways were around the table. It was often said of him through Pharisee circles that he was the the man who ate and drank with sinners. This is who our Jesus is. He is the table sitting, reclining, eating, drinking saviour. And if you stop to consider the power of what he did at that table, with many people throughout the three years that he was on earth. He reached out, he restored, he reconciled, he redeemed, he even rebuked at the table. He rebuked Judas. He rebuked Simon, Peter. Peter. But he also rebuilt people's lives around the table. When Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus came back and found him fishing and said, come have breakfast with me. And around a meal, Jesus rebuilt Peter's life because Peter had denied Christ upon his death. And so the power of a table in the life and ministry of Jesus is the same thing that I believe that God is inviting us to for 2020 and for today. Who's at your table? Who is at your table. You know, they say that 60 years ago that the people used to, families and people used to spend 90 minutes at the dinner table. Today, the average time at the dinner table is 12 minutes. See, we've lost the art of understanding the power of the table. We've lost the art of the power of the table. And today I really want to speak to us about bringing back the intentionality of the table in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friends, and in our communities. Because I believe that our dinner tables have the potential to be the most missional places in our lives the most missional places in our lives. Now, maybe you're sitting here going, I don't have a family, I'm single. This message is for you. And maybe you're here and you're saying, I've got family, but I'm disconnected from my family. This message is for you. Because when you step into the family of God, look around the room, this is your family. This is your family. And so today, my question to you is, 
Who's at your table? Now you're like, Sheree, I live in an apartment. I don't have a table. I have a couch and a TV. Just ditch the TV for a little bit and use the couch. (laughs) Well, maybe you can go to a restaurant or a cafe. It doesn't matter what table. But the question is, who is at your table? Who is at your table? I went out to a restaurant just recently with some friends and we went to a, um, a Mexican restaurant, great food, great times, sitting around this table having conversation. And I was very mindful of the fact that I was not going to uh, put my phone on the table, knowing full well that if it vibrated, I'd be tempted to pick it up. But it also shows the people at the table that I'm not invested or interested in them. I'm actually invested in what's going to come through next. And many of you I know have, have uh, philosophies in your family that the, t- the phones are left on the bench while you eat at the table. Phones are put in a cupboard. Some people put them into a box and lock them away. Some of you just keep it in your pocket. But I believe that we're living in a generation that is being impacted with connection compromise because of devices at the table and because of our lack of intentionality at the table. And I see it time and time and time again when we live in this age We're over and over and over again, we are so preoccupied by our devices or by our own interests that we miss the intentionality of what could be unwrapped at the table. As I sat in that restaurant, there were four girls around the table next to us, all having a great time. And as we looked across, because things got a little quiet, we looked across and all four girls were sitting there on their phones, just glued, just glued. Now, we're all human, so we all fit into the same category where I'm sure that you, just like I, have found myself sitting at a table realising, hang on a second, I've got my phone, I don't need my phone. Or find ourselves in conversation referring to our phone. And it breaks the power of connection. And we live in an age where our connection is compromised by these things, but I believe more than ever, God wants our tables to have a missional focus which needs and requires our full attention. It requires our full attention. You know, they say that in statistics at the moment here in Australia, 78% of people in Australia think that meals are important together. But three quarters of those 78 people want to change their routine to engage more table time because they don't feel like they do it enough. You know, I have many fond memories as a child at the table, many moments of conversations, many moments of overhearing conversations that challenged, that equipped, that enabled, that that propelled me into the future that I'm in today. But there were many conversations that happened at that table that were integral to the development of my life. And in the same way, your kitchen table, your table, wherever it may be, there are foundational things that God wants to do in your moment of dining and feasting at the table. For you, but also for others. And you know, I ask you today, who is at your table? Because we have lost that art of understanding the power of the table. And so today I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to go and sit at this well-prepared table that I prepared earlier with the help of my friends. And when I look at a table, I see food. Food to enjoy. 
But it's no good enjoying all this food on my own. Number one, it's not helpful to the waistline. Number two, there is a lot here that can be enjoyed by others. And today I've invited a few friends to the table. Because I understand the power of connection and how central this table is to our Christianity. And so a few of the friends that I do life with are about to join me at the table today and begin to show you what does it look like to do life and ministry like Jesus did life and ministry? What does it look like? What does your table look like? Who are the people at your table? We're going to turn to Luke chapter 14, where Jesus speaks very clearly about the table. And this passage of Scripture is caught in between two things. It's caught between the Pharisees and the observation of someone who had a disease called dropsy and through a point that Jesus was trying to clearly make. That as a result of Jesus being here on this earth, everything changed as a result of him. And we're going to open it up at verse 12 of chapter 14 of Luke. And he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or invite your relatives or your rich neighbours. Least you also invite, in return, you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and you will be blessed. Because you cannot repay, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Who is at your table? Now, when Jesus says here, don't invite the rich, your friends, your family, your neighbours, your relatives, it is actually translated, do not habitually invite. So you can take a deep breath and relax. You're not about to have a moment where you're told to go find these people specifically, the crippled one, the lame one, the, you'll find them pretty much look around the room, we're all here. Because we're not talking about homeless people, we're talking about individuals. And when he said when you invite, it's the same when, when Jesus said when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. It is not if, if you invite, if you put on a feast, it's when. When. It's central to our Christianity and it is a practice that needs to be cultivated in our lives. Now, it may be your cafe for you, it may be your home, it may be your parents' home. But the intentionality of a table, the conversations that open up around a table is opening up your world and their lives to who Jesus is because Jesus lives in you. 
This story of who to invite when Jesus said, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. It's pretty much you and I. When I went through the Greek and studied, it was people with needs, someone lacking anything, someone needy, someone who's crippled, meaning disabled in limbs or crippled or injured, crippled in their mind, crippled in their spirits, crippled in their emotions. Lame, meaning deprived of footing, limping through life, trying to make it. The blind, meaning blind impaired or blind mentally or blind spiritually. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to every single one of these areas for my own life. Because at some point I was blind spiritually. At some point I have been limping through life and have needed a table full of friends who can pray when required, but also someone who can be there to encourage and build up and to love and to care and to nurture. And that's what a table does. I've had times in my life where I've had needs that could only be met through the people that I'm doing life with. As you, I imagine. So my question again is, who's at your table? Are you doing life in isolation? Coming in, ticking, ticking off the checkbox list for a Sunday to say, oh, I didn't done my duties, I went to church. Or you're at a table with somebody doing life and doing ministry and how Jesus intended it. See, this is the thing. Jesus' intent is that we would do life and bring back the table in a culture that is contrary to what his word says. In a culture where the decline of families at table is a real thing. They're saying that 29% of people now sit at the table, while 30% sit at the couch. 17% have been found to sit at their beds in isolation. And 24% have sat in front of the TV to eat their meals. In a generation and in a culture that exists where the table is not seen as it should be, you and I have a responsibility to be ones that would open up our tables and begin to open up our hearts, open up our families, open up our hearts and lives to people. And my encouragement to you this year is that you would look at 2020 and decide, I want to do what Jesus did. If I don't have a table, I'm going to go invite myself to someone else's place. <laughs> If I do have a table, I'm going to open up my family and open up my heart and open up my life to others. See, families that eat around the table are more likely to be closer. If you're feeling isolated in this church and feeling like you're just in a crowd, let me ask you, what connect group are you a part of? What family are you attending? Because when families eat together around a table, they're likely to be closer. A family that eats together stays together. But if you're not in proximity and having a table and finding a place where you can do life, you'll miss what it is that God has for you in 2020. I have many fond memories around the table because tables are personal and tables are relational. 
The family table has literally changed my life and changed the lives of many other people that have reclined at my table and my family's table. But who are the people that are at your table? And what will it require of you in 2020 to do to bring those people into your table? I find it absolutely compelling that Jesus set the ultimate example for us in the way in which we should do life. I find it compelling, I find it challenging, but I find it so much wanting to be a part of my life that I'm consistently putting myself in positions where it's like, God, I believe that our tables have the potential to be the most missional places in our lives. God, would you help me to be able to open up my heart, open up my life, open up my family, open up my world to someone who desperately needs it? I found myself residing in Florida for a season when I was travelling a few years ago. And um, funnily enough, I met this couple named Matt and Melissa. They have become very dear friends to me. But how I met them was I just rocked up to a church in Florida that I had uh, one particular friend at who said, hey, come down and stay with us. We'd love to host you and and have you stay with us for a period of time over Easter and we'd love just to get to know you a bit more. And so I went down and I decided to, to stay with them and it wasn't just a week, it turned into three weeks that I stayed with them. And it was amazing as I went down there, but the reason I stayed was because the Sunday night that I went to church, my friend who was a guitarist and worship leader on time on the stage, I sat in an aisle on my own and met a few people here and there through the hellos and the niceties of the services. And, but after the service, it was a young guy named Matt and his wife who came over and said hello. He was also a guitarist on stage and had spotted me and knew that I was a friend of Alex's and decided to invite me after the service to go hang out at Starbucks. Well, that opened up a whole new three weeks of all things that I can imagine fun to be. Food, motorbikes, friends and long summer nights. <laughs> and as we started to hang out, Matt decided he would invite us over for dinner. And as he invited us over for dinner, he would spread out a feast that reminded me of heaven. The feast that only God talks about through the Bible where he says, when you come to heaven, there will be a feast set before you. And it was amazing. There was so much food. And as I was sitting there contemplating where to even start on this table, Alyssa, his, his wife, turned to him and said, honey, could you go down the street and pick up X, Y, Z? He's like, yep. She's like, dinner's still got 20 minutes. You should be fine. So he raced down to the street and went to good old Walmart in the States and uh, picked up a few items and came back and in tow came three or four people. I just thought, these three or four people are just coming in late. They came in, they sat at the table, we engaged with them, we talked with them, we laughed with them. And through the process of the night and conversation, I said, hey, where are you guys from and, and how do you guys know each other? And they're like, oh, we're from Walmart. <laughs> I was like, come again? Oh, we're from Walmart. And I was like, uh, okay. Without wanting to be rude or awkward, I was like, Really? Okay, in my head I'm thinking, didn't know they sold families to be picked up at Walmart. <laughs> they started to unpack their story and started to share of the fact that Matt had walked in and seen them on the way in and said hi to them and on the way out felt to have a conversation with them and ask them to come to dinner. Two complete random strangers 
who didn't have anything to eat. And at the end of that feast, we packed up all of that food and we gave it to them to take back to the community of people that they had that didn't have any food either. And it was a powerful moment where I started to see the goodness and the kindness of God reflected through his people, inviting people to a table. And again, my question to you is who is at your table? Your friends, your family, your work colleagues, the people you go to university with, the friends that you've made, the people that you, you buy coffee from every day that know your name, and even the ones that don't. Who's at your table? And what will it require of you? As I look through the passages of Scripture, I started to think about all the different things that it would require. And I started to consider who was at my table. And just this year, I have moved to Melbourne and moved away from a community that I had had for four years. And I had a number of friends, a number of family, a number of church congregation members that I knew and but I also had a very special group of boys in my life. They were five boys, and I'd known them for five years. And over this last year, it's been a little bit more challenging because I used to spend every week with them. And being in Melbourne, the distance means that I can't. And so on special days like their birthdays, I would go back. I would drive two and a half hours back. I would take them out for their birthday dinner. I would buy them a gift give them a gift card, find something that was for them that was personal and then I would have conversation with them and then I would drop them home and that would be the end of our time. And every time it would break my heart because it wasn't long enough. And so I decided that in all good things true in my family where I just invite people over, <laughs> I rang my mum and I said, Mum, how would you feel about the idea that I could do Christmas Eve dinner with my five boys. And she was like, that would be amazing. Let's do it. And so in true Jesus style, I invited myself to my mum's place for Christmas Eve dinner. <laughs> and I invited my five boys with me. My five boys came around and we sat at the table and was all prepared, it was all spread out and it was beautiful and there was coloured popcorn for kids and there was lollies and there was chips and there was all things that increase your waistline. But there was a roast, chicken and vegetables and prepared before them was a feast. And for these five boys, the opportunity to come out and spend one night out in a family environment that had a feast prepared where there was love, there was care, there was nurture, there was genuine, authentic conversation around the table. These boys just engaged and we ate and we were merry and we had such a great time. I think if you were here when I preached my last message called One Person, I shared of the one, one of those boys that I took out for his birthday dinner in November. And we'd had a conversation through this process of the dinner and he kept coming back to it. We'd talk about all these different other things and he kept coming back to it and asking questions. And I told him about, because he, he was talking about the devil, so we talked about the devil. We talked about God. We talked about angels. We talked about all of these things. 
And we talked about the fact at the end of it, and I said to you that when I said my goodbyes, I said, remember that conversation we had? And he said, yep. I said, you, if you ask God to reveal himself to you, he will. And as I left, he turned and said to me, you know how you said that thing to me? And he said, yeah. I said, yeah. He said, oh, I'm going to do that. I was like, brilliant. But as I walked away, I prayed over that and was like, God, would you do a miracle in his heart? Would you soften his heart to who you are? Would you? And through the, all the conversation that we had, little did I know that this young guy had been retaining all this information. Because when the five sat at the table, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, hey, Sheree, you remember how you told me that story? And you told me about how the angel fell from heaven? And you told me how that God is bigger and stronger than the devil? And, how, and, and he just started to unpack this stuff at the table. And he said, can you tell the boys this story? And something just broke on the inside of me because the power of what happens at a table, you can never underestimate what it is that God does. Now, his dinner was just at like a McDonald's restaurant. <laughs> Nothing fancy, but it had a table and it had food and it had conversation. Who's at your table? Who's at your table? Those three boys left. I'm oh, sorry, the three boys, the older boys that I've had relationship with longer, uh, the, they call themselves the OG, the original gangsters. And so they asked if they could stay longer. I said, yeah, that's fine. You can stay. I'll drive you home. It's going to be fine. And so the other two younger boys, because Santa was coming, he had to go to bed early. <laughs> so they got picked up and they were taken home. And just me and the three boys and my parents just sat and conversed and chatted and the youngest of the three turned and said to me, he said, oh, I know, I know um, this has been great and I, I really feel like we should do this more often. My little heart melts as I'm sitting there composing myself. Just keep moving your tongue on the roof of your mouth. You will not cry. You will not cry. Good trick, just hashtag trick. And as I sat there, he repeated that statement throughout the course of the night. As we were driving home to drop the boys off, he said, look, I know I've said it a number of times and I don't know if you're counting, but it's five. <laughs> but I really enjoyed tonight and I think we should do it more often. I dropped them off. They don't know this, but... Dropped them off and said my byes and farewells and got back in my car. I bawled like a baby. <laughs> None of these boys knew Jesus. And over the course of five years, God is doing something. But it required week in, week out meals around the dinner table. Conversation. There was intentionality that was shown. And it doesn't happen by accident. And I share this with you because I believe more than ever that in 2020, God is asking us, who is at your table? Because in Luke 22, verse 29 to 30, Jesus says this, he says, I assign to you a kingdom as my father has assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. See, the joy that you have right here, right now, being a part of this church and this family is that you get to dine at his table. 
not only here on earth but for eternity. But his desire is that many would come and recline at the table. And because Jesus lives in you, when you have people at the table, they meet Jesus through you. So who is at your table? Because you have a seat at his. Who is at yours? Later in this chapter of Luke chapter 14, verse 22, it actually states after Jesus has told the story that there is a banquet that he's putting on, a feast, and he's invited all of these guests and he's preparing all of the food. And he asks all these people and initially they're all like, yeah, 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 we'll be there, we'll be there, we'll be there. And when it comes time, he sends a servant out to go gather the guests. And as he goes and gathers, gathers the guests, there's excuses at the table. And one of them is relationships. One of them is property. And the other is work. And there's all these excuses that begin to pop up. But Jesus paints this picture and says, I'm not happy for there to be nobody at the table. There needs to be people at the table. And so he says to his servants, go out into the highways, the byways, and go and find people and bring them to the table. Compel them to come to my table. And he says in verse 22, because there is still room at the table. There's still room at the table. But we didn't have one table in our family. We had multiple tables. We had the dining table. We had the kitchen table. We had the kitty table. And we would make room for people to come to that table. My question to you today is where and when can you make room at your table? Where and when can you make room at your table? Because it will require this of you. It will require you to be intentional, not incidental. There will be moments of incidental moments where you're like, hey, why don't we come over and have dinner? Why don't you come over? Those things are good and well, but it will require you to be intentional, to bring people out, from, out of your community into your community and people that you do life with. Acts 2.42 says that the disciples and the people of God devoted themselves to the disciples' teaching, to the preaching, to the gathering together, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread in homes. Who's at your table? Because I believe more than ever that it requires us to invite people to our table before we invite them to church. Where they can build a form of connection with one another. The second thing is I believe that it's inclusive that you have to be inclusive. You can't have an individual focus or be exclusive. You have to be inclusive in your nature. Jesus is a gatherer, not a scatterer. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, he says this, he who is not with me is against me. They are strong words. Then he says, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. We can't afford to be scatterers. We have to be gatherers. We have to be gatherers. And the third thing is this, that we need to be interested. We can't be indifferent. We have to be genuinely, authentically caring, loving and nurturing in our relationships. 
Be invested in their stories. Ask them where they're from. Ask them how they got there. How did they come to that conclusion? What is it that they believe? Begin to inquire of who they are. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look out for the, not only your own interest, but the interest of others. Don't let the table be about you and all of your life. Like share life with them, but don't let it all be about you. Let it be about them and their life and their story. To be invested is the fourth thing. It requires you to be invested, not insolent, which means to show lack of concern or lack of interest or apathetic approach to it, i.e. don't have your phones on the table. Don't have your phones in your pocket where they're a distraction from the conversations that are happening at the table. Be intentional and be invested and impart life. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2 says this, We are pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, not only the gospel, but also our lives. Our lives. Jesus set the ultimate example, life and ministry together at the table. Who's at your table? Who is at your table? I'm going to finish with this. Imagine a church who decided that they were going to open up their tables to those outside of this community, to those in this community, and to see transformation happen and be intentional and go out. See, King David took his rule and place and reign in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And in that passage of Scripture, it tells the story of how he honoured the leadership before him and because he had been given the king's table, he knew the weightiness of that table, but he knew that that table was not meant to be him on his own, but it was meant to be for those who were far off, who were crippled, who were lamed and maimed. And so in this passage of Scripture, he goes out intentionally to find someone in the lineage of Saul, the previous king, to say, who is there that can sit at this table? And it was Saul's son, Jonathan's son, um, I can't say his name. You can look it up. It starts with M. We're going to call him Meth for now. And when literally he came, David found him lame, crippled in both feet. And Levitical law actually stated, in Leviticus chapter 21, it states that you could not bring the lame, the maimed, the poor to the table which is what Jesus was confronting in Luke chapter 14, was this very issue that we couldn't live according to the law, that it was a new way and a new day and that all who are broken, all who are lame, all who are limp, all who are damaged in some way, form or shape, including you and I, have a place at the table. And that table, David opened up to this young man and he came. He goes, who am I to sit at the king's table? And while David was around, he said, while I am king, you will sit at this table. And he took his place at the table and the same table that you and I have a place at. But there's a space. There's a place for someone to come 
and enjoy the feast and the friendship and the family and the connection at this place. Romans 2.4 says it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Who's at your table? Who that you can be kind to? Who can you bring in? And as they feast from your table, they feast from the table of God because Jesus lives in you. Who's at your table? Who is at your table? There's space at your table. Make space at your table. In 2020, let it be the year that we answer God's question to us. Who's at our table? Who's at our table? And as you ponder the question, who's at your table? I'm very mindful that you may have walked into this place and you could be very lonely. You could be very isolated. You could be asking the question, will you? Why hasn't anyone asked me to the table? It's very easy to walk into a church this size and in this congregation and feel isolated on your own and alone. But you need to know that you are a part of the family of God and you have a place at this table. But this is not how life was meant to be done in rows. Life was meant to be done together. Life was meant to be done in circles. And Jesus set the ultimate example in Luke chapter 9. When the disciples were together and listening to the teaching of Jesus and there was a multitude following Jesus, He had the first mega church ever. And as the multitude were following, the disciples came to Jesus and said, can you send them home? It's getting late. They need to go home and eat. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You feed them. No one eats in isolation. I've got a ministry of the table. We're going to do this the way it's meant to be done. And so he says to the disciples, give me what you've got, which many of you families may need to do in this next season. God, would you take what we've got and multiply it to feed others? And Jesus does that and he multiplies it. And he sets the disciples with baskets and says to them, would you go and tell the people to break into groups of small groups and to sit down on the grass? See, Jesus was intentional. He knew that you couldn't do life in a large community. You will find places of isolation and loneliness and that's not the way God intended it. So he broke us down into small groups and sat them on the grass and distributed the bread and the fishes and they ate and they drank and they enjoyed the feast. And Jesus illustrates to us today the importance of the table in a congregation like this. You need to find a table, whether it's yours or someone else's, that you can be a part of, that you share in and do life and do ministry in. But not only that, that you be inclusive and bring others into. That's what it requires of you. And it says that when they left, 
The crowds left. They sent out the baskets because Jesus never believes in waste. He collected up 12 baskets full of food and leftovers because God is the God of abundance. And I promise you this, if you open up your heart, you open up your home, you open up your table, you will have an abundance left over. He will never leave you dry. He will never leave you dry. But it's time, church, it's time. It's time to be in groups. It's time to be in connection. It's time to be in relationship. It's time to invite people in. It's time to bring people to the table. It's time to bring the blind, the lame, the crippled, the ones crippled in heart as they limp through life, trying to get through day by day. It's time to rise up and to be the body of Christ that Christ called us to be, to go out and find those who are lost and those who are broken. You know, Jesus, after He finished the conversation with Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, it says that Zacchaeus' response to the conversations around the table, which we don't get insight into, but I can only tell you this, if Jesus is at your table, there are conversations. And this man, a tax collector, in the conversation, something arises where he's not only reached out to, he's not only restored and reconciled to the Father, but he not only is he rebuked in that conversation, but He is rebuilt because His response is, if I have robbed anybody, I will give them four times the amount back what I have taken. Because lives are changed and transformed at the table where Jesus sits. And if Jesus sits at your table, your friends will be saved, your family will be saved your colleagues, your co-workers, your, the people you do life with, the person who serves you coffee, they will be saved. Invite them in. Invite them to your home before you invite them to church. Let them build relationship and connection with you and connection with the God in you. Because everything changes at the table. Right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and if, if you want to join with me, I'm going to pray for us as a congregation. And if you want to join in, you want to agree with this prayer and you want to open up your hearts and say, I will open up my heart, my family, my life, my table to those who are in need. I just want you to stretch your arms before God and say, God, that's me. I want to open up my heart. I want to open up my life. I want my life to be changed. I want to be at somebody's table. I want to open up my table. If that's you right now, just lift up your hands and I'm going to pray and I believe as we pray. Spirit of God is going to come and touch you and something is going to shift and change because this is a table for us right now. You've partaken in communion today. You've sat at the table of Jesus Christ. Something shifts and changes in this moment. God, right now, I thank You for every individual that sits in this house and calls Numa Church home, calls Numa Church family. I thank You, Lord, that we have sat today, we have eaten and we have drunk at the table of the Lord, that we know and we understand the power of the table in the same way that Jesus lived it. Would You help us to live it? Would You help us to walk it out? God, that we'd use our tables as a place of outreach. God, that we would use our tables as a place where we can see people redeemed and reconciled 
world. Lord God, that we would see people's lives rebuilt. And Lord, for the hard conversations that need to be had where there's rebuke, Lord, would you come and do what only you can do and do it in love. Would you change and transform us in Jesus' Name. Lord, let people come to our tables. Let them be saved. Let them find community. Let them find connection. Let them find the power and the love of Jesus at our tables. Lord, we commit our hearts, our lives, our tables to You for 2020. Would You come and do what only You can do? In Jesus' mighty Name, Holy Spirit, come and manifest Yourself at our tables in our conversations. Let them glorify You. Let them honour You. Let them change hearts. Let them change lives. In Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.